0: The death of your old beliefs, it's necessary in order to birth the new beliefs for driving higher executive behavior.
1: Welcome everyone to the Ask a CEO show. Ask a CEO interviews bring us inside the corner office and C-suite for discussions with top executives about their journey to leadership and the reality of running their companies today. Our host, Greg DiMetrio, is the CEO of Lorraine Gregory Communications, an award-winning integrated marketing company. He is also the founder of gregscorneroffice.com, the home of the Ask a CEO interviews. Greg has been in the business for over 30 years, he is a resource to the media, an invited columnist and speaker on marketing and business topics. Over the years, Greg has talked to hundreds of CEOs and executives about what it took to make it to the corner office and what it is really like being the leader of their companies. And now, he brings those conversations to you. Here's Greg now.
2: Welcome, everyone, to Ask a CEO Show. I'm Greg Demetrio. My day job is the CEO of Lorraine Gregory Communications, an award-winning integrated marketing company here in New York. The Ask a CEO Show is a product of gregscorneroffice.com and a production of LGC Studios. So today we bring you the journey of a CEO who's uh, got a little bit different story today and it's something that CEOs should listen to because his business is helping CEOs. His name is Don Shimnick, and he is the CEO of Saga Leadership. Now, Don is an international speaker. He's a keynote speaker, published author of several leadership books. He's a coach, a trainer, a business advisor. He's a graduate of MIT and a professor at Johns Hopkins University. His resume includes working with 7,000 CEOs, he's been described as delightfully irreverent with blinding flashes beyond popular theories. With research, teaching, and challenging the status quo, Don is able to show CEOs how to effectively impact their bottom line. It's something that's very important to our audience. Don, help me out here, Don. Uh, Schminka is
0: Sheminka. the German name, but I answer to anything close to that, so don't <laughs> worry about it. <laughs>
2: So, Don, our audience is a mix of CEOs and those people on their journey to C-suite. And I'm sure it's an environment that you work in all the time. But before we get into that, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your background and how you wound up where you are today.
0: Yeah, it was uh, a circuitous route. I never planned to be doing this. I was at MIT doing uh, planetary physics uh, and I thought I was going to get into biomedical engineering, but what happened is I uh, ended up at at Johns Hopkins and I finished my graduate work there. And I got fascinated with uh, human grouping behaviors, which led me to interact with a number of CEOs. And they started complaining about the high failure rates of management theory and these short life cycles of these popular uh, trendy, uh, management theory. So we took a look at that and that took me on a whole different journey, uh, on studying failure rates. And, um, we put together, you know, a team of anthropologists and archeologists, evolutionary psychologists, and geneticists. And it was a fun journey. So we ended up in this space doing this and then, uh, we started applying it.
2: How did you get to MIT?
0: Uh, I think it was an accident. There might have been a computer glitch or something.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what was your what was your upbringing like that got you to the point where you could get accepted to MIT?
0: Oh well, I, I was uh, I was almost a high school dropout. I uh, yeah, I, I forgot the show for my senior year, and then the the police told me I might have to repeat my senior year. I'm like, that's going to be a total waste of time. So I said, Well, how much time do I have? So we got 90 days left in the year. I thought, Okay, what do I got to do? And I literally cranked through and finished my senior year. And um, at that point, then I, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was in rock bands at the time and went to community college and uh, began uh, really getting fascinated with computer structures and uh, systems of the time and science. And there were a couple of people there who were retired retired MIT alumni. And um, they were like, I guess they saw something in me, but they were like, you know, you really need to go there. So I didn't know what MIT was. I thought, I mean, it's a trade school. I mean, what is, what is this place? So I applied and they supported me and I went through a number of interviews and a battery of tests and um, and I got in. So
2: that's an so interesting story. Many of the CEOs I talk to have many of these checkered pasts, if you will, that we <laughs> survived. And we got someplace that was not, not expected for sure, right? Uh, I mean, I, I can tell you that. A- I'm a retired New York City detective. What, do I, what did I know about marketing and communications, right? It's a funny story. Funny you
0: know, story. I, no, I, I think you're onto something there because uh, one of my books I haven't published yet is uh, on entrepreneurship. And the research we've done there is that, you know, you need to be a little crazy. And that's why you see a lot of entrepreneurs that have these checkered pasts because that's that's they were expressing this inner talent. And it's what we're finding out is they really can't be trained. It's like you have to have a certain uh, level of disorder. <laughs> 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 to
2: do this true. Thing. true. True. I tell everybody I'm probably a better salesman because I was a detective because two yeah. I listen very well and I have yeah. a very large BS detector. So Sorry. I do pretty good. I cut through the chase pretty quick. That's so it. it. It's interesting how you apply your previous experience, not just book learning, but street learning. And I'm, it sounds like you were around the block a couple of times, too, before you, yeah. got, your act, before you got your act together.
0: A few times. <laughs> you might have been chasing me a few times. I don't know. <laughs>
2: So, listen. Tell us about Saga Leadership. Is it a training company, a consultancy, a provider of business education? What is it exactly?
0: Yeah, uh, it, it spun out of our research when I, I left Hopkins and started, um, you know, a research company to sort of look at digging more into this. Because as we were applying these models, you know, sales were doubling and tripling, and some companies ten times in a few years. So I'm like, wow, there's something here because the CEOs were getting very excited. So I started. Uh, I started. Saga as a research and executive education company. So we felt that um, we're not really consultants. We're not really out there giving advice because we saw a lot of failure rates in that as well. So we thought, you know, education is the way to do it, but it's gotta be more than just seminars. We have to implement everything we're teaching. So essentially we're a research and and executive education company that we work with CEOs to facilitate full implementation of everything that we've researched and teach.
2: Well, a big part of your resume is you're a national speaker, right? Yeah, so now, in that line of work, becoming known can be a really long haul. At what point did you know that that was working for you?
0: Uh, it was accidental. i was uh, when I was teaching in the graduate school at uh, Johns Hopkins, I stumbled onto um, an ancient manuscript because I see I was looking at if for leadership, for us to teach leadership in a way that isn't trendy and it's going to go through these phases, let's find something that, that's worked for five thousand years, and and then that we can validate with scientific models as to why it worked. And so I was doing a lot of work over the past five thousand years in terms of these studies. I found this ancient manuscript that Oxford University had uh, there, and so I asked them for, for permission, and they gave they were very supportive. So I published um, back in the '90s a, a book called *The Code of the Executive*, and that was a 700-year-old, a basically executive training manual for samurai executives. You know, teaching samurai how to how to lead, and um, that became I thought an interesting short book for academics that I could use in my courses, and some of the other professors might want to use it. But it took off. They're so like, I don't know over a dozen languages and next thing you know i'm on cnn and
2: really? the press
0: and i was like whoa what just happened and that's when i knew like we're, we're on to something Take, taking ancient leadership that can be validated and it's consistent and it lasts more than a three-year fashion trend and be validated by science like why it works is a thing that i should do more of <laughs> so that, that's where it started So, is
2: it, that was the impetus for your speaking career then as well yeah the book yeah the book. So you, you produce Shogun for executives. So it was really kind of cool, right? If, if yeah. anybody listening remembers that, uh, that book and show. So, all right. So now you have this nice business going. You're out there. You're teaching CEOs how to do better business. And bang, we got hit with COVID. Mm-hmm. So now tell me. What was the impact on your business model, on the way you did business, how you kept the business going in a COVID perspective?
0: Well, everybody uh, took a hit because obviously if there was going to be a conference you're going to be speaking at or doing a workshop with with a live audience, that was not going to happen. So um, I was traveling a quarter million miles a year. And uh, so I was hitting maybe three to five cities a week. That ended. In March,
2: is that a good thing for you personally?
0: Well, well, you know, I didn't really notice it because I was doing a lot of my literature research and uh, development work on planes. So for me, it was a very productive time, and I love getting out there and meeting people. And I love teaching. That's really what I love doing. So being in a live audience is fun for me. The uh, but what I did is in March, uh, everything shut down, and I thought, well, I love teaching. How do I do this? And um, you know, I have this cigar room in my house that I don't really use anymore. So I turned it into this movie studio and I learned how to do movies. I learned how to do filming and editing and scripting and lighting and chromatography. And I ended up putting together, because somebody said, they said, um, it was one of the one of these Zoom things because I had to do a couple of things, by the way. Let me back up. A lot of us had to become broadcasters. We, We had to learn like what you do, right? And we had to figure out, okay, I can't give a speech on a Zoom call and have it go the same way. It's television. I got to figure out how to do that. So I, that all this combined with this studio thing I was doing. So I learned how to broadcast and my Zoom speeches went great. I mean, people were like calling me back. They were like, wow, we had three hours with you. There were no Zoom fatigue. It was entertaining. It was So that helped me become a better teacher. But when I started doing the filming for the course, a lot of them said, hey, that stuff you did with us that transformed my executive team where we became like samurai. Can you can you get that out to everybody? So I did, I, I created an online course called- Did Become- you
2: find it very different from being in front of a live audience and being in front of the camera? What was that transition like for you? Cause you're, you're an in-person speaker primarily, yeah?
0: i tell you, a lot of it was timing, um, a lot of, and, and I, I hired a couple of coaches, which was great who were in, in the media or were familiar with social media. And the uh, and I think a lot of it was timing because if you think about it, you're watching TV or a movie. There's something stimulating your brain every seven seconds. Now, if you're on stage, you have you can have more of a presence. You know, you can have more of silence, and, and that can bring out maybe an emotion or an experience. But you do that on TV, and it's like everybody's falling asleep. So it had to do with with that, and then with my um, with my videos in, in this becoming samurai of this nine week course. And it's like nine videos with all kind of lessons and things. But I had to realize that they're not going to sit there and w- watch me talk. I've got to learn how to do B-roll, special effects, background movement, cutaways to this. I, I loved it, quite frankly, because I had never been a teacher that way before. And uh, I, just, I just got a kick out of it. So, yeah, we just released that course. And now I want to um, get that selling so that I can move on. To You're
2: other- going to put me out of business. You know, that's <laughs> what we do. <laughs> But I love it when people learn. I mean, when we opened up the studio, I had to bring in a real production company because I'm a a technical novice. I understand the process, uh, but my job keeps me away from immersing myself in it. So I had to get somebody in here. We were very fortunate just recently to merge in a full production company. So we have all the tools now. And when you talk about film production... There are so many little things that make the difference in the final product. You mentioned B-roll, you mentioned cutaways, you mentioned still photography embedded. All of those things make a better, better product. So the fact that on top of everything else that you've learned, you learned how to do that. I mean spare time basically, right? You learned how to do that. So (laughs) and so it's wonderful. That's how CEOs. Survive, they, they keep expanding and doing different stuff, right? So listen, so let me ask you a question. This is an interesting question. Who's the best client for you?
0: Yeah, that is an interesting question because um, I tell you who our worst clients are is when we go into transform a company, if the CEO thinks they already know everything, that means they stop stopped learning. And maybe they, they brought me in because my books are popular or, mm-hmm. you know, they may look good if they bring me in because I'm the keynote speaker or something, but it, it, you know that's not a good client because I love people that want to learn because I'm a teacher, right? So uh, the best clients, really, I think, are CEOs who are self-aware and feeling enough discomfort with their current organizational organization's performance that they realize it's time to get to the next level. You know what I mean? It's like it's like a bell curve. I mean, on one end, it's like well we're doing fine and let's just keep day after day doing the same thing and we're good and I've got a nice lifestyle. That's not a good client. And on the other end, um, it's people that are in, um, a lot of, well, basically a lot of pain. Uh, and they're, they're the ones that are probably better because the people who are comfortable aren't really, aren't really a good client. It's the ones that realize, hey, I can do better or uh, I'm not doing better. <laughs> You know what I mean? They're either enlightened enough to say we got to keep pushing the needle or they're getting hit by flat revenues or dysfunction. I mean, they hate showing up for work because there's so much politics going on and there's people problems. Those are great. Those are great CEOs to work with because they want to get something done and the, you know they want to grow.
2: Yeah. I think you can't you cannot be the be all and the end all of any situation. You have to know what you don't know. Yeah. And you have to know where to reach out and find out how to know what you know, supposed to know. So listen, they're in my ear. They're telling me we need to take a quick break so we can pay some bills. So we're going to be a little quiet for a bit and let the production people do what they do. And then we'll be back in a moment.
0: Creating a comprehensive, effective marketing plan can be complex and difficult, but it doesn't have to be. At Lorraine Gregory Communications, we make it easy. Experience Matters.
3: Hello, my name is Tom Hunt, the founder of Fame. Now, Fame loves the Ask a CEO podcast. We've actually been working with Greg and Peter behind the scenes for the past year, over a year, I think, to help build and grow the show. And so if you have a business, specifically a B2B business, and you're looking to raise awareness with people in your field to build relationships with people in your industry then we would love to talk we have this almost completely done for you service where we'll set up and grow a podcast that ideally will become profitable uh, within the first six months to a year so if that's something that interests you you can just go to fame.so check out our case studies etc we would love to talk and of course i do want to say thank you to Greg and Peter for building such an awesome podcast with Ask a CEO.
2: And we're back with Don Schminky. Yes, close enough?
0: Good enough, yeah. Okay. It's a weird name, you know, because I never knew how to pronounce it right myself until I went to Germany. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like a common noun. Schminke means like makeup or, uh, you know, artist. Actually, there's a famous artist paint company called Schminke.
2: Isn't that right? uh, but I don't yeah. know anything about. That. I apologize, anyhow, for being so inferior when it comes to pronunciations. I'm oh, not
0: worried about it. I don't English
2: leave. English is my second language. I think from <laughs> the time I was born.
0: So, hey, by the time I was five years old, I knew I cannot take this last name seriously. So I'm just going <laughs> to roll with it.
2: Well, look at mine is Demetrio. Where are you going to go with that, right? So listen. <laughs> so the strategies that you employ to attract new clients how do you, how do you go about that? Are you an internet play? or uh, you do regular direct marketing. What's your marketing program look like for Saga?
0: Generally, um, I find that uh, speaking out in, the, out in the public, publishing, you know, the books, articles, and a lot of the online work uh, tends to attract um, CEOs who are self-aware and realizing they're either in pain and need to change or they're enlightened enough to where they, hey, they want to keep moving, but they need something different and unique. And um, I think that's the best, because when I'm when I'm either they're reading what I'm writing or I'm in front of them for one to three hours, they're they're getting it like, wow, this is something different. This is new. This is scientific. Mm-hmm. And um, that that generates a lot of prospects. For well, us. those
2: are the those are the people you've already gotten. How do you go and get people that you don't have? How do you get your messaging out to them?
0: Well, that's been a challenge because, you know, I want to get the messaging out to a lot more people and what I'm finding and COVID helped inspire this and and people like yourself who have been doing these things like podcasting and uh, and what I'm looking at is using the social media to just to get this content out to everyone and let them apply it, let them use it. So I'm doing like micro courses, a new experiment. Like uh, when I, in fact, for your viewers too, if you, if you want, I'm, I'm putting into these free, just fast, like maybe four, three minute videos, like every 48 hours, just to stimulate thinking or, or uh, to get a model or a methodology in their mind so they can start applying it immediately, because there's a lot of things we can do to improve. And to me, that's exciting to do. So I'm, I'm thinking about that as a new channel or getting out in front yeah, of
2: it. Well, my suggestion to the CEOs that I talk to is that you are the face of the brand, right? You need to be out there. You need to be pitching the brand message for your whatever company, whether you make widgets or you know your hair salon, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, you, the more you can personalize the company in terms of the CEO's personal branding and and messaging, the stronger your position becomes, the more you become recognized, you might even turn into an influencer in a certain uh, vertical, Um, but it's very, very important. And so that's something that I would suggest that all CEOs take to heart. Don't just be in your office. Don't just let your team do what they're supposed Mm -hmm. to do. You take a hand in it and you'll be out there in front. One of the reasons why I Ask a CEO came about was because I wanted to talk to CEOs. I love talking to CEOs, but I wanted to talk to more of them. Yeah. And hopefully turn some of them into clients, which has happened. Thank you God, it's happened very nicely. But really, what I'm doing is I'm bypassing all the gatekeepers mm-hmm. because people have come to me directly. Yeah. So it really it really helps do that.
0: And what I find that the direct um, when I'm locked in a room with maybe ten or fifteen CEOs in a workshop. That's the most direct face-to-face educational branding experience you can. And I just got uh, an award from a CEO membership organization. They said I've done probably close to 2000 now speeches. And that means, and I went, I did the calculations. It's like, that means I've trained 15,000 CEOs. So we'll talk about branding. Right. And, uh, and it's great. Cause I've got I got a nice database and, They sort of know me, so I get calls to come back and speak more. And um, but I'm looking at social media too, because it's one thing to be in a room with fifteen thousand CEOs over so many years, but um, things like what you're doing, podcasting, or you know, being out there, those are a new. That's a new area for me to explore that we're currently involved
2: with well running the company eats the clock up pretty well but if you carve out if you know a little piece of chunk of time to be able to do it i'm sure it pays dividends over the long haul i think we're approaching over a year now with ours and i'm pretty sure we're about four thousand downloads a month so it really it takes a while but it it really pays dividends but the fact of the matter is you're teaching ceos fifteen thousand ceos and they all have your phone number Mm. that's gold That's gold in any marketer's world, that's gold. So, all right, so let's say you are a educator, you're a trainer, you're a coach, but nowadays everybody that is doing what we just talked about, they're doing webinars, they're doing virtual meetings, they're offering training on every topic under the sun. How do you and Saga compete with that?
0: I know it's, uh, it's interesting what the world has become. We are surrounded by so much noise, it's hard. To listen or find what it is we want, because you can just type in anything on a Google search and you'll get millions of hits. So what we have been blessed with, and I haven't really, this was not a a marketing or strategy for us, but when we expose the high failure rates of a lot of these management theories, that all of a sudden pulls us out of the noise a bit. So when somebody's reading an article or my book or they're hearing me speak or they're YouTube or they're seeing me on a podcast, um, we sort of uh, approach it in a totally different way. People are like, wait a minute, nobody's ever said that before. Like failure rates? I mm-hmm. say, so, yeah, go to, go to Google Scholar, type in management theory of failure. You're gonna get over 4 million published literary papers on this, you know? And so people don't realize it. And then we do is we say, okay, we conduct research to explain why they fail and how to fix it. So that sort of pulls us out of the mainstream in terms of all that noise. And uh, and it's true. I mean, think think about it. How many of your listeners, uh, uh, their employees, say, "Wow, I, I can't wait till the boss brings in another consultant," or "I can't wait for my boss to read a new book."
2: Zero, <laughs> zero. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, so. For us, it was kind of easy to distinguish ourselves because we basically led with that. Uh, and people were like, whoa. whoa you know. Well,
2: so, you're know." guarding against that failure for them. I mean, you yeah. don't want to take their money just because you want to help them and, and guard against the failure and to give them the tools by which to do that. So that's really interesting. Yeah. So what, is a, what does an engagement look like to you, a new client, let's say, how how they come to you and... and what does the whole engagement look like? Well,
0: we we customize it in, in phases. Like we found out when we were looking through the failure rates, uh, and this is something that your audience may find interesting, is we found that people were like, okay, I got a problem. Let's get a referral or put in an RFP and we'll select somebody. Fast forward, they leave, cynical employees. Maybe there was some progress made, but a lot of it wasn't, they weren't ecstatic from the experience. So we thought "Look, why don't we, there's, there's five phases. There's a ready phase, aim, launch, accelerate, and achieve orbit. I, I'm a planetary physicist, so forgive the rocketry. But the phase one is readiness. Like, why, why do anything? You know, and that's what we do. And so when a, a client calls us, like, I don't know if you need to do anything. W- what sense does it make for you financially? You know, because if you're only, only going to save 50000 a year, you know, go watch some great podcasts like yours, you know, get a book, watch some mm-hmm. TEDx talks. But if if you're looking at half a million, a million, 10 million, 100 million, now you got something to look at. But what are you going to do? You really don't know. They think, well, we need sales training or we need this or we need that. So we go to phase two, which is that situational analysis, which means let's find out what the real problem is. Because a lot of times I find out we are throwing money and time at symptoms, not problems. So are you addressing a symptom or is there a deeper problem? And once we understand that, then it's easier than to customize a program that could be a combination of workshops, retreats, uh, group coaching, individual coaching, uh, a lot of educational modalities. Well, first we crank into the executive team. That's the launch phase because if the executive team is not behind any change, it's just not gonna happen.
2: Is Is there a sweet spot for you in terms of corporate size?
0: You know, it's interesting, I've done everything from, I mean, the US Navy used, we worked with the Pentagon um, on transforming fleet warfare readiness, uh, which was proven successfully in the Gulf War, um, to startups in Silicon Valley. So it's been a whole range we've done family business, actually probably have maybe a third of our work now is with family owned businesses. Uh, We've done nonprofits, it's been all over. And I think what seems to be the common factor is humans coming together to try to do something. (laughs) You know,
2: I find that CEOs are very generous, not only on the business side, but on the personal side. Once you have a client, you become vested in their personal struggle, their personal journey, and you want to help them. Not to be a Pollyanna about it, but you, you kind of identify with people. You have more deep conversations with them. You find out what their spirituality level is, what their family background is like, and you, you start to understand what they're really asking you. And And I think that's one of the things that drives the way I do business. I love the personal aspect of it. I love learning about my CEOs that come to me for marketing and communications. So, you know, if you're doing you're customizing each engagement to fit that person. And the deeper you know them, the deeper you know their company, the better you can do, the more effective they're going to be.
0: Yes. Yeah, Yeah,
2: very much so. So So listen, so you're an author. So why don't you tell us about some of the books that you've written and where they're available and so forth? Sure. Um,
0: Yeah, I've written a number of uh, books, maybe three or four. A couple, uh, couple did well, a couple sucked. But a uh, couple that did well.
2: <laughs> You're the world's worst salesperson. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: uh, I think uh, hopefully people like the authenticity. But the first one, uh, the code of the executive, which I wrote back in the 90s that I mentioned earlier, I mean, that's still on Amazon. I mean, it's, on, it's still distributed everywhere. And, and um, for CEOs, I want to take a look at what executives were dealing with 700 years ago. That's a good book because it's shocking to find out, wow, we're still dealing with a lot of those problems today. And um, that gave me a chance to put together the scientific insights. And, and actually that book became the foundation for the new Becoming Samurai online leadership program. Uh, so when you, if you read the book, you take the program, you'll see I took several things out of there about creating bravery and honor because when I looked at all these failed changes in organizations and these frustrated CEOs, at the bottom of it all, they were all sabotaged by fear and selfishness. Well, all the politics, the change resistance, the lack of accountability, all those issues they complain about at the root cause was fear and selfishness. And that is a biological event that is not a trendy theory that is part of our species because it all comes out of genetic warfare. So if you can remove fear and selfishness from an organization. Your strategic execution speed goes up and so do your sales and performance and you're having more fun. So, so I created this Becoming Samurai course really to be like, hopefully there's more out there, but it seems like the first course to address fear and selfishness, to create bravery and honor. So that book was a great, uh, that was, that was a great and I thank uh, Oxford University for letting me have access to that. But the other book is High Altitude Leadership we did with uh, NBC. Uh, My co-author Chris Warner, who I met uh, climbing uh, in the Andes, he's probably one of the top rescue climbers in the world. And um, he saved all those bodies on Everest, I think back in 2000, when he had this total disaster going on. Uh, I forgot the exact year, I think it was 2000. Anyway, we got together when he was going to do K2 for NBC. And so we literally did the book live for everyone by satellite radio, as he takes on the most dangerous mountain in the world. And It was actually nominated for a number, number of awards uh, when NBC released it because he self-filmed the whole thing and the book came out of that high altitude leadership. And uh, so Chris Warner, uh, my co-author, was great
2: in that. Good for you. Good for you. I'm a frustrated writer myself. One of these days I'll get the book out, but right now, right now I'm happy with my blogging and my occasional opinion piece in the local press, but. Uh, so we could we could talk all day, Don. I'm serious. What a wonderful conversation we're having. So before I let you go, I've always asked my guests. It's a two part question. What's the best advice you ever got, either personally or business wise, and what would your advice be to people on their journey to the C-suite? What's the advice I got?
0: I think I have to go back to Ronald Reagan, trust, but verify. <laughs> because I can't tell you how many times I hired teams to come in to take on the, uh, the, the projects or the the, the company, because I just want to teach. You know, I just want to research and teach. I wanted someone else to do everything else, but I had to fire so many who said they were great, you know, and they gave me great stories, but they ended up damaging my business uh, they were totally unable to execute. And I really should have verified earlier their performance. And so i learned a lot from that advice. But um, th- the advice to a, coming C- uh, to a CEO who's coming up, um, turning to the corner office, as you said, which is a great, a, great, uh, a great metaphor to look at, is I think I learned it from what 700 years ago they told me is, is, is prepared to die. And what I mean by that is not the physical death, because most of the samurai training was death of the ego. And so if I was going to give advice to an up-and-coming executive is that the death of your old beliefs, it's necessary in order to birth the new beliefs for driving higher executive behavior.
2: That is a terrific, terrific statement. It's very deep, and I think about that for a while. But I think it's spot on because if you live with that ingrained belief you've had, and it's back here, and you notice something that's got a, a little fishy, and you don't kill it, that you, de- you know it's going to keep haunting you. So, yeah. Donald, I have to tell you, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm going to give you the floor now to tell people how they can get a hold of you, what you have to offer, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. The floor is yours. Oh, thank
0: you. Um, well, the website where I try to keep a lot of this stuff in there is sagaleadership.com. We stole that from the Vikings, the, the saga. It's so S-A-G-A leadership.com. Uh, and in there, you can see the Samurai course, but um, more importantly, there's um, I'm, I'm putting together, because this podcast thing is new to me and I'm learning a lot from people like you or experts in what you're doing, is uh, if you if you forward slash wait list right now, and I'm probably going to change that to forward slash podcast. I'm putting a lot of the stuff free for downloading to audiences because I know we barely scratched the surfaces, but I'm putting up some of those mini courses and I'm going to, I'm just joining you guys as an amateur right now. Cause I'm just learning about how you guys do your work, but I'm going to well, put apparently
2: You have some pretty good film credit going behind you. So I'm going to be yeah. checking that out as soon as we get off this uh, interview.
0: Uh, thank you for having me though. I appreciate you, you know, making
2: time for me. So thank you everybody for listening. Don't miss an upcoming episode of ask a CEO interviews. We'll have invited guests from all industries all over the country and the world. Visit gregscorneroffice.com for the full video version or listen to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite streaming platforms. If you like the show. Don't forget to subscribe and share far and wide, and you'll be helping us to build a growing audience. So thank you all. We'll see you next time.
1: That's a wrap on another Ask a CEO interview. We hope you enjoyed the talk. We'd love to hear from you. Visit gregscorneroffice.com, click the Ask a CEO tab, search your favorite listening app, or view on YouTube. Click the subscribe button. And don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook. Until next time, goodbye from Ask a CEO.